Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today is Paul Polizotto, the CEO and founder of GiveWith. And Paul has been fixated on giving his entire career, and it all started when he was a surfer in Manhattan Beach. And once he started to take notice of the pollution in the Bay Area, he took action. And this was just the start of Paul's career-long dedication to social entrepreneurship. And eventually, he would launch Ecomedia, which helped create a more meaningful relationship between companies and advertisers. It drove real social change as well as powerful business growth, which is why it was acquired about 10 years later by CBS. And in 2016, Paul launched GiveWith and is aiming far past the American media and advertising sectors. So let's get into it. Let's unpack Paul's story and let's do this. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Adam, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. Awesome. Yeah. Let's do this, man. So before we get into where we are today, it's important that we look back. And, you know, after growing up, you know, in the, in, in the Santa Monica area as an avid surfer, you started seeing problems with waste and inefficiencies early on. What were those signs that you noticed in terms of pollution as a surfer? And how did you even begin to tackle such a large scale problem? Well, the first the first uh, experience with pollution was that we were involved in this super healthy sport called surfing, but we were sick all the time. So the exposure to pollution wasn't just seeing it, it was experiencing it in, in the way of our health. So we're involved in this healthy sport and we, you know, it's ear infections, it's upper respiratory infections. And Adam, there's times when back in the 70s and the 80s, Santa Monica Bay was so polluted after a rain event, there were um, uh, experiences with hepatitis. We were going in and getting gamma carbon shots. And so, that was my exposure to it. And I was like, well, what's going on in this basin, in the Los Angeles basin, that's contributing? What, what activities are happening that's contributing to that stormwater and urban runoff pollution that's making us sick? And so I started seeing contractors that were cleaning industrial sites, manufacturing facilities, parking lots, even bioinfectious waste areas at hospitals washing the pollutants into the storm drain system and and ultimately into the bay because these systems adam out west in california are separate storm and sewer are separate so anything that goes into a storm drains basin is ultimately going to go straight to the bay and so i looked at those activities and said and when i was watching these contractors do it i said wait a minute not only is that polluting the bay and making us sick that's illegal that's a yeah, non-stormwater discharge. It's a violation of the Federal Clean Water Act. And if we could come up with a way to do that compliantly, 
I could legalize, legitimize an industry, bring a new, new methods, and protect the Bay from pollution. And so that's how my career got started as a serial social entrepreneur 33 years ago. You know, it's funny. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you what year that was, just to give people a reference. But I also didn't want to, I didn't want to date you on that. But well, things were a lot different back then, like environmental regulations. It was just a yeah. different yeah. world. No pun intended. A different environment um, that we lived in. But let's talk about the idea of building uh, uh, a coalition. And when you started to implement the technology to filter off uh, this runoff water, who were some of those partners and key players from your network that helped you get it done? Well, you know, there's a combination of players in the, in the, in the area of, of clean water. And I, I just want to say one thing about California and my experience growing up there. And this whole idea that environmental regulation and making air cleaner and the water cleaner um, uh, is bad for the economy. That is absolutely not true. Um, in addition to growing up and, and surfing and swimming in a polluted Santa Monica Bay that made us sick, I also grew up in Los Angeles where you couldn't see Palos Verdes from Manhattan Smog Beach. Central Station. It was, yeah, the, the smog was so bad, Adam. And, and in fact, I grew up as a kid where they would cancel recess. They would cancel PE. Huh. We couldn't even go outside because the air was so bad. And so the, the Federal Clean Water Act, the Federal Clean uh, Air Act, and those acts that go back to the 70s were the beginning of regulations that ultimately led to cleaner air and cleaner water. My children that also grew up in LA, they didn't miss, they haven't missed a PE, they didn't miss recess because the air is cleaner and the economy kept on growing. Right. So, you don't have to yeah. stay stuck in the old ways. It's called evolution, revolution, and, and hopefully not to get, not to politicize our conversation here, but let's get back to that. Let's get back to, to putting you know, the, the, the children's future and their health first and foremost. And, and the fact is, is that the economy kept thriving. And so I just wanted to make sure that that's clear. So you asked about what stakeholders I worked with. Look, um, I worked with um, members of the state, um, cities and counties and nonprofits. And so a lot of these activities were um, the combination of efforts being done by different stakeholders. And I began to socialize my solutions with all of them. And what I was able to do was pioneer something called urban watershed cleaning, a process called zero discharge, where I developed ways of doing this compliantly. I won an award from the United States Environmental Protection Agency for the creation of the methods, and the business became successful. And, and what it did is it, it, it gave a, a very simple sort of option to building owners and managers, facility owners, whether they were industrial sites or our large office buildings, which was we could do this work in a way that protects the environment and complies with the law or pollutes the environment and breaks the law, which one of the- It seems like a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer. And so what ended up happening was it set the new standard and there was no going back. And that was my, that was my experience. And I'm, I'm quite proud of the work that I was able to do. That, that business, Adam, still thrives today. And yeah, it's exciting. What was it like early on? I mean, you're a young man at the time and you're seeing such positive change and positive impact that you are making, that you are the impetus of, that you're helping drive along with these amazing folks behind you in your own hometown. I mean, that had to feel great. It, well, it did, but here's, here's the thing. Um, I'm a serial social entrepreneur, right? And that means I've spent my entire career doing it. By the way, I say social entrepreneur. Um, that phrase wasn't even created 
back then. I, I don't know who coined that well, phrase, but we let, just, let's 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 pause and help and help define that for folks who may not know what a serial social entrepreneur is. Well, serial in the sense that I've been doing it my entire career. Um, social entrepreneur in the sense that I'm only interested in creating businesses that um, improve the environment, health, and education around the world. And by the way, I'm not judging entrepreneurs who create businesses for business sake. I'm not doing that. It just so happens that that's what inspired me. And I, you know, look, we we didn't call it social entrepreneurship. We didn't call it social enterprise. We just set out to create businesses to solve problems that we thought needed to be did. solved. And that's, that's what, what we did. did. There was no label on it. No, but here's the thing. Um, being a, you know, a social entrepreneur is a blessing and a curse. The blessing is that you find it immensely gratifying. The curse is you can never shut it off, which is why I'm still doing it 33 years later. But you're right? happy. I'm looking at you. You look, you know, you look half my age. I, uh, I hope my hair turns an awesome. I'm actually, I'll tell you something. Side note, I'm kind of looking forward to having really cool hair like that. You know, uh, I think I'm, I think I, I see a few of them here and there, but I, I you earn it, you earn it, and 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 age is certainly a state of mind. So I want to fast forward a little bit, and I recall from our com our first conversation talking about eco media. But let's like let's bring everyone you know up to speed here. How did you create a new form of funding for charitable causes? Let's let's break it down so everyone could listening where the where the kernel of this idea came from and yeah. and where it is now. Yeah. Okay. So two things happened. Okay, so you, we just covered my first enterprise, right, around the environment. And so what happened, Adam, was, and you were talked about stakeholders, right? I started working with all these various stakeholders, um, governors, uh, mayors, county boards of supervisors, and nonprofits. And I started being exposed to really cool community projects where these stakeholders have brought a lot of the money together, but not all the money. They needed a little bit of right. gap financing to get fully funded and off the shelf and into the community. So I said, I said to my wife, I said, I want to start a nonprofit because uh, I had this, this successful business. I want to start a nonprofit to win grants and fill gaps on these really cool projects that are stuck. So I started the, the origins of Ecomedia, which I later sold to CBS. I actually started as a nonprofit. So I start the origins of Ecomedia, which I later sold to CBS as a nonprofit, to win grants to fill gaps. I start winning grants, I start filling gaps, and I realize very quickly, Adam, that wait a minute, I'm taking a grant out of an existing foundation pie. Th this grant was gonna go to another nonprofit had it not gone to me. And what made matters worse was that some of the nonprofits that weren't getting those grants were being run by my friends. They were the executive directors. It's like the Robin Hood over there, right, Robin Hood of grants. Right, they're saying, hey, Paul, you're doing super cool, but like you're, you're taking our grants now. Taking my money, bro. And that is, to answer your question, the origins of the idea for Ecomedia. And there, so, so there were two things going on, right? I didn't know anything about advertising. So here I was, I sold a business to Ecomedia. I'm not from the advertising space. I'm from the social impact space. I'm from, from the, um, uh, from the, uh, uh, you know, environmental space, social impact space. So anyway, there were two things going on uh, 22 years ago. First, and this is what got me thinking about advertising. First was this idea of cause marketing. To me, cause marketing that, at that time, and by the way, you turn on the television today, it seems like every commercial is cause marketing. But the thing to it, do. Yeah, but, but, but anyway, back then, it looked to me to be very historical. It looked backwards facing. 
it looked like something that um, a brand had done in the past that actually had nothing to do with the consumer. Um, but the brand wanted to tell you about it anyway. Yeah. And it or looked PR. to me like a one-way monologue between the brand and the consumer. And I, I was thinking, well, what if the future of cause marketing could be forward-facing? where something new and tangible and measurable happens in the future because the brand and the consumer agree, right? And when brands and consumers agree, great things happen for brands. And the other thing was, I was really interested in this idea of story, empathy, action in real time. This idea of brands underwriting human empathy. And I don't mean asking a brand, a big multinational brand that's got a you know market cap of billions of dollars at right. consumers for money. I was worried about donor fatigue. Everybody's figured out a clever way to ask you for money. I was interested in, in how brands would underwrite social impacts that mattered to the consumer um, and the brand would pay for it and, through engagement. So this idea of story, empathy, and action being underwritten by the brand through engagement. And I, I'm happy to go through how that so, works but so, so let's 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 give everybody at home who's following a a very simple layman's uh example of how this would work in real time okay um there was a campaign that we did with dell okay um dell had come out with their new xps their 13 inch laptop okay 25 percent of the packaging of the xps was made from ocean plastics so mm -hmm. i thought well that's really cool right I love that idea. It takes me back to my roots. But what if, Dell, every time you told the consumer that your product was made from ocean plastics, we actually funded a nonprofit that was re retrieving and repurposing ocean plastics? Let's Full talk cycle. about it and do it in real time. And so the way that campaign worked, Adam, is we created the display units, the Facebook posts, the landing pages, uh, you know, custom video, where online it would say, this, the digital display ad said, this ad cleans oceans. You click, we'll give. And people would click and it would then release a donation to the Waterkeeper Alliance, which is an extraordinary organization, the Waterkeeper Alliance, protecting rivers, lakes, streams, bays from pollution all over the Tributaries. world. Tributaries. Yeah, great stuff, the Waterkeeper Alliance. And so um, it, it directed um, that campaign um, so what it would happen is you'd click, you click, we'll give, and then it would share more about Dell's great work in that space and the work that Waterkeeper Alliance was doing. That campaign raised $50,000 for the Waterkeeper Alliance just through consumer engagement. And the other thing that it did was it raised awareness about the Waterkeeper Alliance itself and the extraordinary work they did. So it worked both ways, both sides. Right. And so now all of a sudden the Waterkeeper Alliance gets this you know, premium placement on all these top, you know, websites around the world. And, and, uh, and we raise awareness about Waterkeep Alliance and the extraordinary work they're doing to protect, um, you know, uh, protect our, our, our waterways from ocean plastics. And Dell connects its product with um, uh, the important and, work. Yeah. And the brand is funding it, right? The brand was funding everything. Exactly. You're not asking the consumer for the, for the no. donation. No. And, and they see the goodwill of it. And I think that is, that is, is that what social value economics really like? How, how do you define, so, like, how, how did well, social value economics come into play? Well, social value economics 
is a very, very uh, different approach to that. Um, and if we have the time, I'm happy to go into it. But what, what, um, what I, what let's, I go, let's go, let's go, let's go up here. Let's go with that thirty thousand foot. Okay, 30,000 30, 30, feet. Okay, thirty thousand feet. Um, we're upside down, Adam. We're upside down. We're solving problems at the bottom of the economy. Okay, from a place of scarcity. Okay, after a process of corporate trickle down and government trickle down takes place, trickle down is not working. Okay, it's not working. So I'm going to lay out two forms of trickle down. And, and by the way, I'm going to reveal my California surfer roots when I connect <laughs> this example to nature. Okay, we're ready for it. All right. So um, there's a um, there's a, it will break the economy into three three sections: gross, net, and net net. At the top of the economy, there's the gross activity of commerce. Okay. And um, it, believe it or not, this is extraordinary. You want to talk about abundance? There's no shortage of money on this planet. There's about $100 trillion of transactions, B2B, B2G, and B2C, at the top of the economy. Okay, So there's a massive amount of money that Business is happening. Right. And so what drives the gross activity of commerce? Okay, Sales, profits, and share price. That's what drives that. Okay, So who's involved in it? People and businesses. And when people and businesses are involved in this gross activity of, of commerce, uh, they, they pay taxes to the net line. They pay payroll taxes, corporate taxes, um, sales taxes, etc. And then government from the net line does some uh, job of redistributing from net to net net. Now, call uh, we could all argue whether government does a good job of that or not. Um, exactly. and, and so, so, so it, the net net line, Adam, are people in need. Um, they're the most pressing issues of our time. People in need are last in line. So, so the, let's let's talk about this. This and by the way, also on the on the uh, net line are individuals and businesses. So how did individuals do from net to net net? Quite well, actually. The American public is actually quite generous. More than seventy percent of all the money that goes to nonprofits comes from individuals. Okay, so so from net to net net, in, individuals do quite well. Um, businesses, not so well. Okay. Um, yeah, I was, I was about to say, I think it's a little lopsided, right? Well, it, it, the people with the least amount of money give the most amount of money and the people with the most amount isn't of money. Isn't that crazy give how that works? Well, well isn't, it, it, don't the rich stay rich? That's how well, the rich stay rich. Well, it I don't should know. Be. I don't know if it's that, if, if it's, and I, and by the way, here's what I would say. There's plenty of philanthropists, very wealthy. I agree. I agree. Here. Yeah. What I would say is I don't think that businesses have an obligation to give money to nonprofits. I think it's incumbent upon people like me to show businesses how to, to in taking care show of them the incentive. Right. Well, not, but not just not just monetary like tax write off and and uh, and underwriting, but the the good and the real good, and not just to say, hey, we check the box, we donate, we're giving organization, we're cause marketing, but really do it for the right reasons. Well, and 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 this might you know cause some people. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think. Uh, businesses should do it because it increases their sales profits and share prices. I mean, I'm going to show you 100%. that if, 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 if addressing the needs of people and the most challenging um, issues we face drive sales profits and share price, then businesses are all in. And so what I wanted to do, social value economics is about showing businesses 
how taking on uh, the challenges we face will increase sales profits and share price. So this trickle down, and now I'm going to reveal the California roots that I have. So a business creates a product, sells a product, um, makes a profit, pays their tax. I want you to think about the things that draw on that profit, Adam, almost as wall. I'm going to add, when I do the video of this, I'm going to add a little chart right here. I'm going to animate this for everybody. Well, <laughs> great. But so, so I want you to think about that profit that's made by a corporation as, as water, liquid, and all the things that draw on that within a corporation. So corporations have to make payroll and they pay real estate and there's R&D and there's dividends. All of these things are siphoning off this, this, this liquid. And as it comes down, as this trickle down happens, a corporation says at the end of the year, do we have any ounces left over to deposit and, and help people in need? Right? It's just, it's what's left. And they yeah, deposit, the, they deposit the, the, these ounces into this lake. And then, and then government, who doesn't even start on the gross line, they start on the net line. There's waste, fraud, abuse, special interest, drawing on that. And then they deposit that into that lake. You know what that lake is? Not only, that, that lake is called Lake Scarcity. And I was about to say a shallow, pretty shallow lake. Right, right. And, and so not only is Lake Scarcity scarce, it's toxic, Adam. People are angry that there is not enough after these trickle-down processes happen to make uh, uh, healthcare universally available to all Americans, uh, to deal with the issues of climate change, to deal with the issues of, of diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice. People are saying, where are the resources to take on these challenges? And social value economics is really about saying, we're upside down. Rather than drawing on lake scarcity to solve these problems, I said, wait a minute, there's another lake. It's up there. It's at the top of the economy, at the place of gross, the gross transactions. That's lake abundance. What if we could draw on the gross transactions at the top of the economy, where a fraction of a transaction, business to business, business to government, went directly to these issuers in these nonprofits? No trickle down pre-distribution, not redistribution, pre-distribution out the top directly to these issues and returned back to the seller and the buyer more value than the fraction that left the transaction. And, and that's really it. If you can show corporations at the point of transaction that you can deliver greater business value for sellers and buyers and create an entirely new funding stream for taking on the most pressing issues of their time, they're all in. And that's social value economics. And thank you so much for explaining. And it sounds like a no-brainer. But what, I mean, I can't even imagine. What, what, is, what is the resistance? What is the pushback when you have these conversations with senior leadership of organizations? I mean, how could, how could they say no to it? What, what, what are their obstacles? It's not that they say no, um, because once they understand it, it's really been enormously well-received. You know, we're working with companies like IBM and we're working right. with public sector sourcing and procurement and Boston Consulting Group. And so we're working with big corporations. I think one of the most overused uh, words uh, is innovation, right? I mean, we, we, innovation, we just hear it all day long. Um, and, and what we're really seeing is imitation with iteration, right? Most things are just imitation with iteration, so, something you've seen before with a tweak. Oh, it's just like this, but it's faster. It's just like this. Reinvent the wheel. I'm like, well, that's not innovation. I mean, that, that's iteration, right? 
Um, so when you're doing something totally new um, and original, it's it, it takes some explanation. So I what I would say is you said it's a no brainer. It's a curve. Right? Yeah, what I would say is it's not complicated, it's just original. And when it's original, it requires explanation. And and that's where we are. And we're explaining it and people are getting it. The largest corporations in the world are getting it. And they're realizing that at the most fundamental, the one thing I really got to stress here, the most fundamental activity of commerce, the transfer of goods and services for value can be leveraged and harnessed as an agent for positive social change. So imagine $100 trillion at the top of the economy and you say, I can create greater business value for the seller and the buyer and an entirely new funding stream for taking on the most pressing issues of our time. Think about the enormous ability. The magnitude. To, the magnitude of that. And so let's, let's stop trying to solve problems from the bottom of the economy, from scarcity. And let's, let's, let's solve problems from a place of abundance at the top of the economy, from the gross activity of commerce. Well, I mean, that, that is absolutely incredible. I mean, this is real change. Oh, yeah. You're starting, you're flipping it. So the, the, the ability to affect it at a much larger scale at the top of it, I mean, this is going to. So what, what have you seen, like in practice, what have you seen the, the, the biggest change so far? I'd love if you could share an example of we put this into play, we work with this organization, and yeah. here's a change that we're seeing immediately. Yeah. So I'd love for people to really understand, like in real life, you know, you're breaking it down in an in academic standpoint, but let's put it in real life. What, well, have we, what change has been affected? Okay, well, so I'm going to give you a, a case study. This is a real transaction. This is a business Please, thank you. transaction, right? So in this case, the buyer is the Boston Consulting Group, right? They're the world's leader in strategic advisory consulting, right? They're extraordinary work. BCG. BCG, Boston Consulting Group, yep. So they, um, they're looking to buy cloud computing licenses, right? There are cloud computing services. So that's what they're looking for. Um, they have options, right? There's AWS, there's Microsoft Azure, there's and and IBM in this case is the seller. So IBM sells cloud computing um, and, and it's called IBM hybrid cloud. And so uh, IBM says to uh, BCG, hey, if you buy IBM hybrid cloud versus all our, our competitors, We'll take 2% of the transaction and underwrite social impacts through GiveWith that'll create some additional business value for you, okay? And the way our platform works is that you type in the names of both companies. We've done a deep dive on more than 9,000 companies. Proprietary research, we know everything those companies are doing in the area of corporate social responsibility, sustainability, philanthropy. We know every nonprofit they're working with. We know every award they've won. And then we pull their ESG rating, their Environmental Social Governance Rating from MSCI, True Value Labs, and CSR Hub, because we want to understand their ESG rating from a couple different angles. And then we pull the standards they're using uh, mm -hmm. against those initiatives from GRI, Global Reporting Initiative, SASB around sustainable accounting, to deem right. whether the projects we're going to surface from our network of exclusive nonprofits, NGOs, and social enterprises are going to create uh, uh, materiality. It's, a, it's essentially a materiality assessment in terms of what it does for the supplier or the buyer. And then finally, we pull some custom Nielsen data that tells us what do your customers care about in the way of social impact? What do your employees care about? We take all that information and we go, ah, IBM, we can tell you something about BCG. 
they just pledged to go net zero on carbon by 2030. Okay, so IBM says, I'll tell you what, we're going to underwrite through give with carbon storage certificates through um, Indigo Ag that uses regenerative farming to, to store carbon. And those, those carbon storage certificates then are transferred as part of the sales incentive. So, so what you have to recognize then is Boston Consulting negotiated best pricing, best terms for those. And. And got those, and those carbon storage certificates. It's the right? and, it's the and. The and, right? That they were gonna have to buy Adam out of precious profits. Now, all of a sudden, the chief procurement officer can go to the CEO and go, check this out. I just negotiated best pricing, best terms for the cloud licenses. And here are some carbon storage certificates that we were going to have to buy out of profits in order to achieve, to achieve our 2030. It's incredible. Now let's go. So that's a no brainer for BCG, right? Got that. The buy, I totally get how the buyer doesn't pay anymore for the product. Probably the easiest decision the procurement, the head of procurement has to make all year. Right. Now let's go <laughs> over to the IBM side and you say, well, wait a minute. Where did IBM get the money? Well, look, the, my whole business proposition is based on this. The process of selling, I'm talking about big sellers. I'm talking about the big B2B, B2B, B2G sellers. The process of selling is enormously expensive and inefficient. 25% of gross revenues of the Fortune 500 is spent on, on SG&A, sales and sales-related expenses, right? We're talking about trillions of dollars when you look at the, the top sellers yeah. in the world, right? So what, <clears throat> what, what, what do suppliers use for sales incentives or just in, in client acquisition costs? There's advertising, there's marketing, there's PR, there's corporate communications, there's events, conferences, white papers. Then you, then then sellers use all things, sorts of things like free shipping, volume discounts, rebates, extended warranties, right? So so there's all these client acquisition tools they use to attract and retain clients. I came along 20 years ago, and that's obviously what I did with CBS, and said, "Hey, seller, you're missing a very powerful tool. The tool you're missing." is social impacts as a sales incentive. You are actually gonna close more new business, shrink the sales cycle, and have a better return on investment. So where did that money come from for, from IBM? It came from existing client acquisition dollars that were not performing well, being redeployed to give with. So IBM didn't spend any new money. They just took some underperforming Sorry, dollars, put them into this. And here's the beauty of social impacts. No matter how much money IBM spends on advertising, right? They can't transfer that to BCG and they can't transfer that to society. But when social impacts are the sales incentive, the beauty of social impacts is that there's shared value. So now all of a sudden they turned a sales incentive that IBM was gonna use anyway to close the business. They, they, they did something enormously powerful together. They dealt with climate change together and Indigo Ag got money from a B2B transaction that was gonna happen anyway. And it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, do you see this as like a new business model onto itself or yeah. like just, yeah. I mean, wow. And, well, that, and the, that, that, you know, that, that is, it, so, so you, you said stay at 30,000 feet with social value economics. Look, so if, if what I described for you at social value economics was putting yourself in the middle of transactions between big sellers and big buyers, um, then I, that's the macro math. I gave you the macro math case for that. But what right. I just gave you 
was the micro math business case. I just gave Practice. you the business case for why you can leverage the top of the economy as the place from which we start solving problems. We're upside down. And, you know, so anyway. Paul, let me ask you this back a napkin. Yeah. If you take half the Fortune 500 companies out there mm -hmm. and they implemented this, put a number to it. How much can we pump back into really important action, social, oh, oh. environmental action? Let, let me give like, you... Just, just, just to give the audience a universe of how big this could be and it will be. Okay. Let's just, let's just stick to the case study I just gave you. We'll keep it to climate, right? Just carbon, right. carbon storage, right? For, for us to have a fighting chance at, at staying you know, below uh, one and a half degrees Celsius to, to, to um, you know, not trigger, um, and it, by the way, that's gonna be- Massive really melting. Massively challenging. The, the, the current global carbon markets are about, a hundred to a hundred and ten million dollars. It's not a lot. I'm talking about you know, um, and so and it, it's been that way for a while. If and you talked about the Fortune 500, if the players in that are members of Business for Social Responsibility or the Business Roundtable just did a fraction of their transactions, and remember, remember, I just made the business case for it. There's 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 almost no excuse. I mean. It, Put it this way, a buyer that doesn't do what I just shared with you is by definition leaving value on the table. If they don't apply exactly. give with or something like give with, they're leaving It's gonna cost them their job. If they know if they know about this and don't implement it. Well, I mean they're just leaving value <laughs> on the table. And then sellers right. are, you know, have an opportunity to close more business. So my point is this: if just a fraction of the Fortune 500 adopted this type of um, of leveraging of business to business and business to government transactions. We could bring billions of dollars to just that one issuer of climate. We could take we could take what is now a hundred and ten million dollar a year annual and 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 shift it into the billions of dollars and give ourselves a chance to start storing carbon. Because I can tell you right now, the answer is we we got to do everything right. We've got to reduce uh, the the amount of carbon we emit, but we're going to have to start storing. Or, or, or else. Yeah, they, they convert. I, I watched the recent Bill Gates interview where yeah. he interviews. They literally take this gas and they convert it to a solid. They, they bury it under the ground. Oh, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, I think, well, look. I mean, that's just one technique. Right, and we're going to need lots of them. And, that, and, and I'm, by the way, I'll tell you this, Adam. I'm optimistic about humans and our ability to innovate, right? Look, there's nature-based ideas on how to store carbon. It's trees. It's soil. It's, by the way, it's... The earth storing carbon isn't anything new, okay? They're doing it for millions of years. Billions, right? So, so there's, there's that. But then there's going to be some mechanical developments, in innovations that I think are going to be really exciting. And, and so I, I believe in our ability to innovate, but we have to innovate fast because 100%. there's a point at where it's irreversible. I probably know the answer to this, but what cause is most important to you? Is it still the oceans, personally? You, you know, this is a hard one for me, Adam. Um, no, not really. It's it, it, I can't put my finger on one single thing, and I don't almost don't. And that's want fair. To. But when I see, when I see what has happened in this country uh, around uh, social injustice, uh, around 
poverty and hunger and I look at, you know, my hometown of Los Angeles and I look at homelessness and I start looking at how many people are struggling. Um, you know, look, climate change in my mind is the most serious situation of our time, but I can't stop thinking about people who uh, don't have equal access to uh, education or healthcare or or even just basic social justice. And so I, 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 I'm sorry I didn't answer your question directly, but... And uh, that's more than fair. I mean, you're living this every single day, so it's hard yeah. to pin down. Yeah. So anyway, I, I see so but, many challenges and that's what keeps me going every day is how do we bring new resources to these organizations that are on the front line? Some of them are government. Uh, there's NGOs and and there's nonprofits, and and there are, there are really dedicated, talented people on the front lines um, that are trying to um, trying to deal with these issues. And we need to figure out new ways to bring them resources. Um, so anyway, I that that's what I've been thinking about is is where are there places in the economy that we can draw on not as a penalty, not as a tax, right. but rather as a way to drive sales, profits, and share price and create this new funding stream to direct towards these organizations that are doing important work. Tremendous. Paul, what keeps you up at night? I'm not doing enough. And that, that you know, it, like I think in this year, this, this year of COVID, um, I think what we found was um, that I think we I think we saw the weaknesses, Adam, of the limitations of government, um, the limitations of communities' ability to take care of the most fundamental issues these communities face. What does that say? It says corporations um, have to play a greater role in um, these issue areas. So I think um, I think it's incumbent upon entrepreneurs and innovators to show, show corporations how they can increase their sales, profits, and share prices and get more actively involved in bringing resources to these communities in need. And uh, in, in doing that, again, growing their sales, profits, and share prices and creating this new funding stream. What keeps me up at night is how do we, how do we, um, how do we find these new sources of funding and how do we bring them to the people most in need? Paul, you're 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 kind of a superhero to me. I'm, no. I, I see you as this as a superhero, but what but what is your superpower? What do you do better than almost anyone on this planet that makes you who you are and what you're doing right now? Tenacious, just tenacity. Dog with yes. a bone. Dog with a bone. Like like I like if as you can see in my career, I haven't jumped around. It's just been the same thing, right? And 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 it and, you know I talked to I was kind of being critical of iteration earlier, but but my my career is really just an iteration on where it all began in you know in Manhattan Beach and Santa Monica Bay, to where it is today, um, and and I think it's just that 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 focus and and how I've just continued to try to build and improve and and I think find bigger pockets of money. What this started as a very local thing in, you know, the South Bay of Los Angeles. And now we're working with 
organizations all over the world in Kenya and Rwanda and Uganda and Peru and Guatemala, Amazing. And the UK. And it's like, so it, what started in Manhattan Beach, California is now global. Uh, what started out in one industry called advertising is now applied to all industries. All it is, uh, Adam, is an expansion of that original idea. And if, if you said to me, what is it? It's, I guess it's that, it's that I just, I'm, I'm tenacious. That's my word too, Paul, tenacity and having yeah. that fire inside of you. Yeah. Paul, what's the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day of your life? Oh, wow. Let me think about that. Um, you know, um, the industrial designer, Raymond Lowy, he said something and, and it really, uh, when I was in college, I had this on my refrigerator and it was something to this effect. Don't, don't, don't criticize me if it's not exactly verbatim, but it was to this effect. Um, I sought to surprise, uh, I sought taking chances. I was all ready to fail to achieve something truly grand, right? And I, I, I think my career has been about surprise, like, wow, aha, I didn't realize that, that what you were, what those contractors were doing was illegal, including the Bay. Like, that's a surprise. I didn't realize that trapped in B2B transactions was this ability to create greater business value and create this new funding stream. It's that surprise. I, I sought surprise and taking chances, and I've always been prepared to fail to achieve something truly grand. And um, that's, that's what I would say. Powerful. And last but not least, you know, you look back on, on your life and your career, and you look at those moments when you were deep in the trenches, you know, in that dogfight, you know, fighting, fighting the man, fighting the big corporation, and you had to reach down deep inside and harness that inner tenacity that you were just talking about and really find it inside of you. And on the flip side, when you look back now, you look back and you look forward at what you helped cre create and all that change and all that good that you've done for the world. And you're filled with, 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 with gratitude and just happy with what you've done and who you are. What is your focus, Paul? What is your North Star? My North Star is to see this through, Adam. To, to, so that, so that, that I believe that, like, like, let's look at um, the notion of free shipping. Like in our lifetime, that idea of free shipping has become ubiquitous, right? I guess probably people way back when go, is free shipping really free? <laughs> or are you just building the thing. price? I, I don't know, but, but, but free shipping is now ubiquitous. It's just, it's like table stakes. Everybody expects it, right? I believe our my North Star would be that someday that when big sellers and big buyers come together to do a transaction, that it involves social impact and that social impacts will one day be as ubiquitous as free shipping. And you know why? Because there's a business case for it. Not because it's the right thing to do, not because they'll feel better about themselves, but because there's a sound business case for that. And so my hope is that when big sellers and big buyers sit down to do a deal, they say, What's, what problem are we gonna solve together? And how is solving that problem gonna create some additional business value for us? And so, that's my North Star. My North Star is to tap the top of the economy where $100 trillion in transactions go down and 
to, to leverage abundance rather than scarcity as the place from which we solve problems. That's my North Star. Paul, thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for your generosity of your time. Thank you for everything that you're doing to make this planet a better place than you found it. Make it good for your kids, for my kids, for our grandkids. And please check out givewith.com. Where else could folks find you and connect with you? Givewith.com. Yeah, go to givewith.com. Check out what we're doing. Reach out to us. And we'd love an opportunity to make the business case that um, social impacts at the center of transactions create greater business value and create a whole new funding stream. So um, let, let's awesome. let's let's do better business together and and um, let's 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 tackle the growing list of global challenges we face together. That's incredible, Paul. Thank you so much, and to everyone listening, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Please be sure to follow us on all the social media channels. You know where to go: thepodcast.com. Subscribe, comment, link, share. Remember, take care of each other, look out for each other. And catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon. Jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search the podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.